Subcutanean. This is a novel that changes for every new reader. No two copies are ever quite the same. This podcast is an unabridged recording of the version generated by Seed 01893. Chapter 14 Before long, the texture of the floor started alternating in frequent, abrupt transitions. First it went glossy smooth, then back to carpet, then to changing patterns of creaking wood and carpet of different textures. I stumbled more and more over bumps and irregularities, as if the floor was crumbling, bunching up as we neared some pressure point. Nico opened every door we passed now, investigating more thoroughly. When he opened the third one after we slowed down, he sucked in a sharp breath. Definitely on the right track. You're gonna need eyes for this, kiddo. He pulled my blindfold free. I blinked in the sudden glare from his light. He stood between me and the open doorway at the end of the hall. It was dark inside, though I could see something glittering in the gloom behind him. Ice? Take a look, he said with a grin. I'll shine the light, but don't lean too far in. I wouldn't bet your life on my grip on the rope. Wondering what he meant, I shuffled to the doorframe. He turned and shined the light past me, and that's when the vertigo hit. The door opened onto nothing. Past the frame, the floor dropped away into blackness. The flashlight only went so far, of course, so I shouldn't have been able to tell how far down the drop-off went. Except I could. Far, far below us were tiny clusters of lights, irregularly spaced but stretching out in all directions, maybe miles down. It was like the view out the window of a red-eye flying over suburbia at night. That wasn't what gave me the vertigo. Stretching down from the base of the doorway in a steep but quickly flattening curve was a filigreed structure which I couldn't at first identify. My impression of ice was wrong. It was laid out more like a spider web, a grid of sparkly intersecting lines. As I squinted, I realized the sparkles were countless tiny crystals, dangling from some kind of mesh and reflecting back the flashlight in hundreds of shimmering glints. As the web curved down and away, it grew denser and denser, strands converging towards a point maybe sixty feet below and another sixty away from the door. The lines of dangling crystal converged there into a dense, scintillating object a couple of feet across. A chandelier. I blinked. It hung with no obvious point of support above a long, narrow platform covered in junk. It was as if the chandelier had exploded, but only in one direction, toward us, crystals multiplying and propagating outward and upward in an ever-widening wave of fractal repetition, connecting the chandelier to our hallway with a web of glass. It's a confusion, Nico said with a satisfied grin. Means we're real close now. A what? I backed away carefully from the horrifying drop-off. What I call them, he shrugged. Most of downstairs tends to follow normal architectural rules. Walls, floor, ceiling, measurements more or less what you'd expect. Bedroom objects and bedrooms. He played his light along the chandelier net, watching its cut-glass facets sparkle. But close to a connection point, things get jumbled up. Like it's harder to maintain the semblance of order for some reason. I thought of our fridge in a kitchen with a pool with a door at the bottom. This one, he added, frowning down, is pretty fucking weird, though. Still struggling with vertigo, tipping forward, arms bound, unable to stop myself as I crashed through that flimsy web and tumbled into blackness, I followed his gaze. The lines of chandelier stuff converged above what I'd at first seen as a narrow strip of ground some way below and in front of us, itself suspended over that awful drop. But as I focused on the strip of ground, I realized it wasn't a flat surface, but something more complex, a sort of huge tube or pipe, maybe thirty feet thick, stretching away in both directions. 
It made slow, lazy curves as it went, like an immense statue of a snake slithering through grass. You could walk flat along the top of the snake's back in either direction, assuming you could get down there in the first place. Its endpoints, if any, were lost in darkness. And it got weirder. The tube appeared to be made of the same scuffed, dusty hardwood floor tiles as my bedroom. A profusion of tatty throw rugs clung flat to its surface even on the curving sides, like stickers on a tipped-over water bottle. And arranged haphazardly across the surface was a motley collection of bedroom furniture, also attached in some gravity-defying way to the curved surface. No matter the angle, furniture rose from the hardwood tube as if down was towards its center. A dresser canted at a 45-degree angle. The top of a bookshelf poked up around the edge of the curve, like peering over the horizon of a tiny planet. So yeah, picture looking down at a giant snake that had somehow coated itself in superglue and slithered through a second-hand furniture store, encrusting itself with beds, nightstands, dressers, floor lamps, some lit, bookshelves, bureaus, trash cans, and laundry hampers, Escher's own frat house, and all suspended over a miles-high drop down to God knows where, connected to us via exploded rays of chandelier. Holy shit, I said. He laughed. Damn straight. Okay then, who wants to go first? It was me, surprise. Nico realized he'd have to untie my hands for me to climb down, and if he went first, there'd be nothing to stop me running off back the way we'd come. I'd be running in the wrong direction, away from the supposed portal back to my own side, but I felt like that might be preferable to being the prisoner of a hungry psychopath who looked like a strung-out version of my dead best friend. Of course, if I went first, there'd be nothing to stop me running off along the impossible bedroom tube either. Except I'd have exactly two directions to choose from, and Nico would have a bird's-eye view on which one I picked. Academic, anyway. He retied the rope around my ankle, let out enough slack for me to get down, and wound the other end around the doorknob of the last room back a few paces up the hall. This probably won't hold your weight, he said, tugging the rope experimentally. Not for long, anyway. But if I brace myself and take some of the load, it should be enough. He explained the plan while sliding fresh batteries into a headlamp and tightening it onto my head. I would climb down the chandelier net while he and the doorknob stood ready to catch me if I fell. When I got to the top of the tube path, the back of the snake, he'd retie the rope to himself and follow me down while I braced from below. He reminded me that since we'd be tied together, catching him if he fell would be in our mutual interest. He also mentioned, quite casually, that he had no plans to kill me. Our deal held. Once I got him to the surface, he'd vanish and I'd never see him again. If I messed with him, though, tried to untie my rope while down there and run off, or got funny ideas about yanking it, he would hunt me down. He told me of his expertise at hunting me down, me personally. He'd done it dozens of times. He'd know which way I'd choose at intersections, where I'd try to hide. And once he found me, he'd hurt me. He'd spend a long time hurting me. He was an expert at that, too, he said. As if to illustrate this point, he pulled out a camping knife with a long, serrated blade and flipped it open, the kind you'd use to saw through small deadwood to make tinder. We'd looked at one just like it, my Nico and I, at the sporting goods store, but decided not to get it. After admiring it for a moment, he closed it and attached it to his belt. I wondered if this was less a threat than insurance against being tied together above a gut-clenching drop. Maybe some of each. He watched me watching the knife with cut-glass intensity. Time to go, he said. I clutched the door jam, trying not to stare down at the twinkling lights far below, trying to think of some way to get out of this. What do you think's down there? I asked, buying time. He didn't look up, focused on a knot. I think we're above the city, with all the houses, like I told you. From down there you sometimes see clusters of lights way up above. This must be one of them. He pulled the cinch tight. 
Found a couple smashed up Ryans and Nikos down there, too. Never understood what happened to them before. Try to be careful, buddy. He got to his feet. Okay, quit stalling. Get moving. Hang on. Fear sweated out of me. We don't even know if this mesh or net or whatever will hold my weight. Or if this portal you're looking for is even down there. It's down there. He set his grip on the rope. I'm sure of that. But as for your first concern... He shrugged, then shoved me. Hard. I flailed, but my body was already past the edge of the door, and my hands too slow to grab the frame, whirled tilting at a sickening angle. My sneaker tried desperately to glue itself to the carpet of the hall, but my center of mass was too far out, way too far. My head dropped below my feet, and I opened my mouth to scream as I began to fall into nothingness. With a tinkling smash, I crashed into the net of the chandelier. It was like landing on an uncomfortably studded trampoline, sloping sharply down. For a second, everything swayed, nauseating, and I scrambled for a grip, but I was already slipping, sliding over the scraping glass bobbles, down and sideways towards the edge. With a whimper, I clutched the mesh beneath me, wrapping my hands around faceted glass and wire and jamming my feet into gaps. One leg was already dangling out into the yawning void of empty space, but my other three limbs were all caught. I jerked to a stop, gasping, swaying, heart pounding so hard I could barely think, spread-eagled like a fly in a tacky, glittering web. From somewhere above, Nico laughed. See, he called down, speculate, theorize all you want. Only way to get answers is to dive in head first, or butt first in your case. He let out some slack in the rope. Now untwist your panties and get climbing. I wriggled cautiously away from the unthinkable drop-off, back toward the center of the jangling net. Moving was awkward. The mesh was a grid of thin metal wire, squares maybe eight or nine inches apart up here, but denser farther down. Little glass baubles dangled from it every few inches, sparkling in the beam of my headlamp. The thing was not comfortable to crawl on, and had enough give that it deformed alarmingly as I shifted my weight. The thin mesh cut into my hands unless I was careful. I'd scraped them both, stopping myself from falling. I looked back up. There was no wall around the hall we'd come through to get here. It stretched back into empty space beyond the limit of my light, wreathed in billowing pink insulation. Huge lumps stuck obscenely from the sides, also swaddled in pink, presumably the last few rooms we'd passed. It looked like a long pink tongue, thick with diseased bumps that we'd wriggled to the end of and crawled out the tip. Shuddering, I looked down, scouting my route to the relative safety of the impossible bedroom's curving surface. The steep slope of the net up here flattened as it dropped and converged to chandelier. I decided facing the net and right side up was the safest position to start, like climbing down a ladder. When the thing became more horizontal, I'd have to twist around and crawl, then drop the last few feet to the top of the tube. It was awkward and slow going, in part because I took significantly more care than I strictly needed. I did not want to trust my life to that murderous asshole and a fucking doorknob. One handhold and foothold at a time, and ignoring Nico's frequent insults and urging to hurry the fuck up, I finally made it to the chandelier proper, which I noticed, disconcertingly, wasn't connected to anything at all. Nevertheless, it was rock-solid, anchored with implacable tenacity to its chosen point in space, hovering a suspiciously standard distance above the top of the tube beneath, as if hanging from the ceiling of an ordinary room. Carefully, I pushed my feet over the tinkling edge and dropped the few feet to the curving hardwood beneath me. I landed roughly and dropped into a crouch, adrenaline flaring. While nice to be off the chandelier net, this felt only slightly less precarious. The very top of the huge tube was flat enough, but the edges curved down on both sides with alarming speed. The zone where I felt comfortable standing was a rounded summit only five or six feet wide. After that, the slope got steeper and steeper. Looking down the length of the tube, the flat zone of safety stretched forward like a sinuous path, 
but in no way a clear one. To navigate it, you'd have to clamber over beds, edge vertiginously around angled desks. It was as if all the furniture was bolted to that cylindrical floor. Turning toward the sickening curve of the drop-off and seeing the tops of bedroom junk poking up from beyond the horizon a few feet away, I again couldn't shake the sense I was on an incredibly tiny planet, furnished entirely out of the IKEA catalog and the dregs of garage sales, albeit one stretched from a sphere into an infinitely long cylinder. Experimentally, I took a few steps curveward, wondering if gravity somehow worked differently here, but it didn't seem to, at least not for me. The angle felt steep and dangerous. My own down was quite clearly still toward the twinkling lights miles below. Whether the furniture really was bolted to the floor or just obeying its own special rules would have to remain a mystery. I finally remembered Nico, who'd stopped berating me some time ago, and glanced up to see what he was doing. He wasn't there. I frowned. The rope curved from me up to the lip of the hall, tracing the path of the chandelier net, and vanished inside. I was so far below the hallway now I could only see a few feet of walls and ceiling through the open door. The corridor still seemed lit by the refracted glow of a flashlight moving around somewhere back there, so I figured he hadn't gone far. Maybe he was untying the rope from the doorknob and tying it to himself so he could follow me down, but he'd been at it a while. Shit, this was an opportunity and I was squandering it. I glanced down at the rope tied to my ankle, but there were multiple knots, some kind of navy-ass shit pulled so tight my foot was losing circulation. Sharp, I needed something sharp. I cast around desperately. A few paces from me was a nightstand with drawers, and I yanked one open, hoping for, I don't know, something, anything. But there was only junk inside, a few dusty paper clips, a mechanical pencil with a missing eraser, a single red prize ticket from a skee-ball alley. I stared at it, despair creeping over me. Light played across my face. I started and looked up, guilty. Nico was back, peering down distractedly from the hanging doorway, the rope now tied around his waist. He didn't seem to notice what I was doing. He seemed on edge. I think there's one of those fucking looky-loos up here, he said. Way, way back in the hall, at the edge of my light. Doesn't matter. Not going back that way, are we? I'm coming down. Find something to brace yourself on. Brace good and tight, he added. Because if I fall and you're not secure, you're coming with me, baby. Maybe that would be preferable, the best fate for all concerned. But maybe he was telling the truth. Maybe he really wasn't planning to kill me. Maybe there was a door up ahead for my key, a way back. Without Nico? My survival instinct shoved the thought away, like a drowner pushing their own rescuer down into the choking depths, desperate to keep their own head above water. I looked for a way to brace myself, and that's when I discovered the furniture wasn't bolted to the floor. If you gave it a shove, it slid like normal furniture. But as I inadvertently shoved an armoire two feet further towards the curve, I hopped back, expecting gravity and momentum to pull the top heavy thing down and around the slope, till it fell over the edge and plummeted into blackness. Instead, it slid a few feet and then stopped, tilted at a dizzying angle, but perfectly content where it was. Frowning, afraid to get too close, I reached out with my foot and gave it a solid kick. It slid another foot around the curve, angle steepening towards a ridiculous 35 or 40 degrees, but it showed no signs of toppling over. It acted, in fact, exactly as if I was shoving it over flat ground. Bracing myself might be a problem, I shouted up, but there was no response. I figured he hadn't heard, the empty space around us swallowed up sound, creating a surreal distance to everything, like someone had turned down the volume on reality. But when I looked up to shout, Nico was staring back down the hallway behind him again. I think it got closer. He glanced down at me for a moment, face unreadable, then looked back down the hall. Well, I wasn't looking. Fucking creepy. In fact... He trailed off, staring at something I couldn't see. My vantage point only showed a couple feet of ceiling. What? 
My stomach churned, as if in warning. He didn't look away from whatever he was staring at. It's got something in its hand, he said, quite calmly. Nausea swept through me, chemical fear. Hairs prickled all over my body. It's coming toward me, Rye, he said, still calm, still staring down the hall. I'm starting down in twenty seconds. Figure out a way to brace yourself, fast. Maybe he was messing with me again, trying to put the fear of God in me so I'd hurry it up. Or maybe he wasn't. I knew what his calm tone meant, what he hid behind it. He was fucking terrified. I've never seen one move like this, he said, voice still calm. It's running down the hall towards me now. Ryan, hurry. Something inside me screamed. He's not lying and something is coming and there's nowhere to run and maybe I should let it get him, but I'm tied to him. I'm fucking tied. I ripped my gaze from the floating hall and cast frantically around the narrow path of safety for something secure, anything heavy. There, a bulky bed with a bookcase headboard filled with books and knickknacks. I pushed another armoire, a solid-looking oak monstrosity, over on top of it, then scrambled underneath the bed and back over the top, pulling the rope tied to my ankle behind. Quickly, I did it again, wrapping the rope twice around the heavy furniture. If Nico fell now, all that weight plus my own should be enough to hold him. Hurry up, he shouted from above me, still staring down the hall. And then I could hear it. Footsteps beating against the carpet, something running down the hallway, running flat out, a manic run, fast, as fast as it could. Ready, I shouted up, not sure which side to root for, not sure of anything but the pulse hammering in my ears. He nodded once, then pulled his gaze away and swung out over the edge, flipping around to face the net, feet feeling for purchase while he clutched the end of the carpet. Pointedly focusing on his hands, not glancing down the hall again, he started down. He descended efficiently, much faster than I'd been capable of. It was coming for him. The footsteps thudded the hall above, creaked loose floorboards. They were very close. Shit, he said. Shit, shit, shit. He was still close to the doorway. Too close. What is it? What does it want? Why is it running? What does it have in its... With shocking suddenness, a hand wrapped itself around the doorframe. It gripped it tight as a body appeared behind it, skidding on the carpet, coming to a halt on the edge of the drop-off. I shivered as I saw it, every part of me shocked into motion like I'd leapt into an ice-cold stream. I wanted to scream, but couldn't. My gaze was fixed on the thing in the doorway. And then I recognized its face. It was Nico, young again. My Nico. He raised his hand and shot his older clone with my gun. But even as he did, Elder Nico was throwing himself to the side, scrabbling frantically for purchase on the jangling net. And it can't be my gun, I thought distantly, no more bullets. And younger Nico changed his aim, steadied himself, but Elder snarled, leapt back up four feet of net in a frantic bound, and wrapped his arms around his double's lower legs, hanging his whole weight on them. And younger Nico's knees buckled, and he tumbled forward onto the net with a cry. Or maybe it was me who cried out, I wasn't sure, and I couldn't breathe, because both Nikos were snarling, scrambling for purchase on each other, on the gun, on the precarious net beneath them as they tumbled roughly down it. They were seconds away from slipping off the side, from plunging into the void of empty space beneath us. Look out! I shrieked, but young Nico had jammed his gun hand through a gap in the net, jerking them both to a halt. The web of chandelier stuff buckled wildly, tinkling like a dump truck full of glass. An eye bolt connecting it to the doorframe wrenched free with a splintering groan. I felt the same crawling horror of watching a spider fight a scrabbling insect, vicious, instinctual. Elder Nico plunged his hand through also to the underside of the net, wrestling for the gun. It went off again with a muffled thump swallowed up by the void around us. Something zipped past my face in the same instant and I ducked belatedly, eyes still glued on the fight above me. Elder Nico lifted his other arm high and elbowed his double hard in the gut, but was met with a savage kick. 
He grunted and started sliding again, grasping at the beads of glass for purchase. Young Nico struggled to pull his gun arm out of the net, but all his weight was on it now, and the wire frame dug into his skin. Elder had grabbed his leg and was yanking on it. He kicked at the grasping hands, and as he did, I remembered something vitally important. He's tied to me, I screamed. Elder laughed as Nico's eyes widened. That's right, asshole, he shouted. If I go, your boyfriend goes. Nico bit his lip, recalculating, and I hated myself for handicapping him. Maybe I deserved to fall, and pushed himself higher with a grunt, yanking his arm free. But as he did, the gun caught on one of the glass bobbles, and before he could grab it, the thing was sliding and scraping down the net toward the other Nico, who lunged for it, laughing. In a clear mental flash, I saw exactly what would happen. He'd grab it, he'd shoot young Nico between the eyes, his face would go slack and he'd fall off the net into the void and vanish. And it wasn't that I loved him or couldn't survive without him, but something else, a pure flash of righteous, indignant anger rising up in me. After coming back for me, after rescuing me, when he could and maybe should have left me behind, he didn't deserve to die like this. Elder was stretched out precariously, hand only inches from the gun, and without thinking or planning, I grabbed the rope trailing up to him and yanked it with all the strength I had. He let out a woof as his torso lurched back, all the air forced out of him, and balanced for a heartbeat at a crazy angle, only one foot touching the jangling net. Then momentum pulled him backward, over the side, and he fell. Everything happened very fast. The gun slipped through a gap in the net and tumbled into darkness. Elder screamed in fury and grabbed for the edge of the net. He caught it, and the whole thing twisted violently. But he'd snagged only a single strand, and it couldn't stop him. It shrugged him off, slicing the skin off his fingers, and he fell, arms and legs flailing, trailing rope behind him. But his grab for the net had dislodged my Nico, too, and he was head down and slipping, flailing, grasping, tangled up in Elder's rope. All this happened faster than movement. Maybe my brain had sent signals to my muscles, but they hadn't arrived yet, or my body was too confused to interpret them. Elder tumbled down, rope twisting behind him. He reached toward the cylinder, but its floor was too far away. He was going to fall past it. He stretched for a piece of furniture instead and collided with it, face scraping against the top of a sideways bureau. A spurt of blood exploded from his cheek even as he scrabbled to get a grip, but he was moving too fast and was too heavy for its weight to stop him. His momentum pulled at a quarter revolution around the underside of the sphere and away from his grasp, and he kept falling. Above me, my Nico cursed and slid off the edge of the net. The tangled rope had gone taut and yanked him off, and he was falling too. Only he wasn't tied to anything. I finally moved, lurched forward to do something, anything, but Elder had fallen out of my sightliner on the curve, and the rope tied to the bed I sat on snapped taut with a creak, wrapping tight to the cylinder's curve. Young Nico plunged by on the edge of my vision, colliding with a piece of furniture and tumbling with it. But then the bed juddered and groaned underneath me. It started to slide, to pull me toward, around, the edge. I realized I'd made a mistake. I'd thought if someone fell, the stress on the rope would be basically downward. Since the bed and armoire were heavy, especially with my own weight on top of them, they would act like an anchor, enough to arrest a fall, surely. But I'd forgotten that down, for the bed, for everything in the confusion but us, was relative. The weight on the rope was pulling the bed not down, but sideways, like a bodybuilder tugging it across a floor. But this floor was curved. Imagine a magnetic ball bearing pulled around a sphere of iron. The force of Elder's weight on the rope was sliding the bed around the tube towards the bottom. But the tube's magic gravity didn't work on me. My down was toward the lights of the city of houses miles below. I was starting down the hill of a roller coaster without a seatbelt, and the hill wrapped past the vertical. I hope you're enjoying this audio version of Subcutanean, but this is just one way the story could go. 
Find out how to get your own unique version by searching for Subcutanean on Twitter, Facebook, Goodreads, or Indiegogo. And thanks for listening. <laughs>